0: Okay, um, Lake Windermere. uh, It's the biggest lake uh, in England, biggest natural lake at least. It's 11 miles long, uh, but it's only a bit less than a mile wide. Uh, Lake Ganaserat is another um, lake, also known as um, Lake Tiberius, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And whereas the area of Windermere Is actually only about five square miles, the total area of Gnasarat is about 65 square miles, so it's much much bigger. And therefore it would be quite reasonable to assume (coughs) that there are a lot of fish in Lake Gnasarat. Today we're going to think about how an experienced team of fishermen managed to spend two whole nights out on the lake and not catch a single one of them. So, what were these men doing so badly? Well, the team that we're gonna be thinking about first, there were four of them, they had two boats. Um, The methodology that they used um, on Lake Galilee and the Sea of Galilee would be that um, they would row out, they would unload their nets into the water, They would then carry on rowing as they dragged these nets through the water and periodically they would pull the nets into the boat in the hope that they would find at least some um, some fishing in the nets in the morning they'd return to the shore they'd then drag the heavy wet nets out of the boat they'd drag or carry them up the beach and spend the morning Examining them and washing them and repairing them if necessary before they finally got a chance to get a little bit of kip. It was a hard, hard job. It was hard manual work. So that's the background to the story we're going to be reading about today. And we're reading in Luke chapter 5. Reading from verse 1. And I'm reading from the new international version. So you can either read with me or just listen. Luke chapter 5 and reading from verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So this was right at the beginning of the Lord's public ministry. It was before he called any uh, of his disciples. In the previous chapter, we can see that Simon, which is Peter, of course, Simon Peter, he'd already met the Lord and he'd seen his healing power because the Lord had healed his his mother-in-law. And I imagine that the other disciples at least knew something about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Everyone was talking about the man who spoke with authority, the man who does miraculous things, miraculous healing, the man who drives out uh, demons. Everyone was talking about him. And they probably knew that he was only a carpenter, not an expert fisherman. So what happened? We read it, didn't we? Jesus arrives on the beach and a whole crowd of people um, come with him. So I don't know if the disciples were hoping for a bit of peace and quiet after a hard night's work, but all these people all come down to the beach. Jesus gets into one of the boats and he asks Simon to take him out a little so he can talk to the people from the shore. You imagine all of these people pressing in on Jesus. It wasn't the first time that happened. It was really just to give Jesus a little bit of space um, in this sort of floating pulpit that Jesus was going to um, speak to them from. When he's finished speaking, he then asks Simon to take the boat out again and let down the nets. Now, I think we can assume that in order to do that, it doesn't say it in, in the text, but I think the, the fishermen would have to go and get their nets, uh, which may have still been wet and therefore heavy. They'd have to drag or carry them back to the boat, get them in the boat, row out into the water, heave the boats, the, uh, the nets out of the boats into the water with the expectation that they were then going to have to row around all over again doing the exhausting work that they'd done all night and caught nothing. I think that was a... Uh, Expectation, And so I don't think um, Simon really was looking forward to this. Uh, and I don't think he really expected to catch any fish after their recent experience. I suspect he only obeyed because, well, probably for two reasons. One, as I mentioned a moment ago, people were recognising that Jesus spoke with authority. When someone who speaks with authority tells you to do something, more often than not, you do it, we, we, even if you don't think it's a good idea, because they're commanding you to do it. And the other thing is, um, again, as I, as, as I um, mentioned, Peter had seen something of the power of the Lord Jesus. So he knew that, that Jesus was something special, and maybe he assumed that at the very least, Jesus was going to maybe teach them something um, out on the water about the kingdom of God. That's what he'd been speaking to the crowd about. And of course, actually, um, Peter was absolutely right about that. If that was his expectation, we can learn something about the kingdom of God from this um, wonderful miracle. Now, you know what happened next. The Lord exceeded anything that Simon could have asked for or imagined. We know a verse about that, don't we? It's Ephesians 3 and 20. What can we learn from this? Well, apart from it being one of the many demonstrations of divine power that we can now read about um, in, 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 the, in the Gospels, what I find most interesting is Simon Peter's reaction um, when he, he, he falls before Jesus and says, go away from me, I'm a sinful man which is also very similar to the reaction that we get from the prophet Isaiah that we can read about in Isaiah chapter six when he saw the Lord, it it, it brought on on a feeling of fear. And I think what we have here is Peter sensing, um, even though he, at that point, we don't think he really, you know, he didn't really have any clue about the true identity of Jesus. He sensed somehow he was in the presence of God and he was overwhelmed with his sense of unworthiness and sinfulness before this man of God. He was afraid. Now I'll come back to what Jesus said in response to that a little bit later. First, I'd like to go to Peter's second or his next fishing trip that we read about in John 21. Now this really is the next time that Peter goes out on the water uh, for the purpose of fishing, uh, although it's actually quite quite some time later, about three years later actually. So John 21, and I'm reading uh, from verse two. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, because he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat. "'towing the net full of fish, "'for they were not far from shore, about a hundred metres. "'When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals uh, "'with fish on it and some bread. "'Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish that you've just caught.' "'So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat "'and dragged the net ashore. "'It was full of large fish, 153. "'But even with so many, the net was not torn. "'Jesus said to them, "'Come and have breakfast.' None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Can you see the contrast with Peter's reaction? It's very different Reaction to the Lord Jesus. At the first encounter, we find Peter afraid of the presence of of, of 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 Jesus, asking him to go away. And here we have Peter swimming. At first, I assume, don't know how deep the water is, but I guess he was swimming. And then, when he got to the shoreline, he would have probably clambered out of the. He tried to climb out 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 on a stony beach. He was probably a little bit wobbly at first, and then as soon as he got on his feet, he would have been racing towards the Lord Jesus racing towards him not telling him to go away what has changed was it a change in peter's own sense of worthiness far from it not after denying the Lord Jesus three times what was different after spending 3 years in the company of the Lord Jesus is that he knew him so much better he knew about his love and his compassion and his willingness to forgive. Knowing Jesus is key to our ability to trust him, isn't it? Now we can't assume that every event in the Bible is is an object lesson um, for us today. Some of it is just history. But you remember when Jesus told the disciples in our first reading in, in Luke 5 that they would be fishing for people? He was using fishing as a a metaphor for the work of the church. So I think it is right for us to look for um, lessons in it. And I I think the first and, and, and most obvious point is that fishing is hard work. It was exhausting. It was time consuming. And sometimes it was fruitless. And all that is true of the Church's work, isn't it, in reaching out and trying to to make disciples. But these fishermen didn't give up. I don't know if you've ever stayed up all night for some um, reason, I guess anyone who's <laughs> ever had children's probably had that more than a few occasions. And um, maybe people who've worked through the night or, or, or whatever. Um, I've driven through the night a few times. It's, the night's a long time. When you go to bed at night and you sleep, you, you, you wake up in an instant. It's like the night's like nothing. But can you imagine what these fishermen felt like after the first hour and the second and the third and the fourth hour, and there's not a single fish found in the nets. But if they'd gone home, if they decided to call it a night, they would have missed out on so much, wouldn't they? We know how discouraging it can be when the nets are so often empty. I think we've all felt like that. But we need to keep going. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. We need to keep reminding ourselves that this is God's work. And that doesn't guarantee that it will be fruitful in the way that we would like it to be fruitful. But God can make the seed grow wherever and whenever he chooses. Maybe in our church, maybe elsewhere, but God's will will be done. Galatians 6 and 9 is another good verse. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest Harvest if we do not give up. We need to keep going and we need to make sure that what we're doing is good, so we're not doing anything which is hindering the work uh, of the Lord, either in our personal lives or in our church service, you know, the things that we do and, 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 and the way that we do them. And a, and a third um, good verse, um, I think, is John 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, Apart from him, we can do nothing. And what that means is that we cannot hope to achieve any spiritual objectives, without following the principles, the spiritual principles that we find in God's Word, and without the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, the disciples knew a lot about fishing. They were experts, but it wasn't enough. We know a lot about organising meetings, and camps, and, 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 and other events like White Moor. We know how to create websites and use social media. We can write all sorts of magazines and books and, 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 and gospel leaflets. We can even, you know we can, we can, we can present and, and, uh, and um, prepare and present the gospel and a whole range of related topics. Uh, we, we can even deliver audio-visual effects at some events, which is on a par with the professionals. Even if we did all of that perfectly, and um, we don't, of course, but even if we did do all of that perfectly, it's still God who gives the increase. I was wondering how many hours the Lord Jesus spent on the beach that morning, that night. Um, we know that he at least had time to prepare a fire and bread and, and, and fish and to, to, to get all of that together. Um, so he hadn't just turned up. But I was wondering, he may have spent many hours on the beach that night just watching the disciples. They were about a hundred metres away. It said, didn't it? Maybe they were a little bit further out at that at some points of their rowing around, dragging their nets, but they they were within sight. And I just imagine the Lord Jesus on the beach just through the night, just watching them and listening to them as their voices carried across the water, listening to them grumbling and blaming each other perhaps about the reason why it wasn't working oh you didn't put the nets in right or you can just imagine them having this conversation through the night about why they weren't catching anything and the lord jesus is there watching and listening we don't need to wave our hands frantically um, so to speak in prayer to try and get the lord to notice us and come to our help do we As he said when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he is with us always. Also, as he said in Matthew 6, God knows what we need before we ask. Now, that's not to diminish the value of prayer, which is another subject, of course. But it's just an encouragement to know that Jesus is always watching. And he sees all our work. He sees all our trials and he knows all our disappointments. So why doesn't he intervene? We can speculate about that, but honestly, we don't know. Why did the Lord Jesus let the disciples work for so long before he called out to them? We don't know. Maybe he wanted to teach them some of the points that we've been thinking about um, just now. Like them, we just need to trust that there is a reason for what the Lord Jesus does or doesn't do, for what God does or doesn't do, and persevere. Did you notice that before the the miraculous catch, he asked them a question? He asked them a question. He said, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, fishermen are not known for telling the truth. When it comes to how many or how big um, their, 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 their catches, so I think you know this was a bit of an honesty test, maybe. Um, but I think at least it's also a lesson to us about admitting failure. I mean, I you know just imagine another scenario: the disciple says, "Yeah, we're fine, thanks. Loads of fish, really big ones." <laughs> you know, just imagine. They said that. I mean, the Lord knew they weren't going to say that. But you know, do you think that you know, would the Lord have actually told them how to get even more fish into the boat that they claimed was already full of fish? There's a bit of an honesty test coming in here. We don't like to admit when we're wrong. This is my point, or that our ideas haven't worked. But sometimes we just have to admit that we've not really caught anything. And yes, we can talk about it being. God who gives the increase, which is true. And we can talk about God finding joy in the day of small things, which is, which is also true. But that shouldn't stop us honestly evaluating ourselves and what we do to see if there is any failure or things that we could do differently or things that we could at least improve on. So what happened next? They got back to the beach jesus invites them to bring some of their fish to add to the fish that he already had cooking he didn't need their fish did he the lord jesus could have provided more than enough fish as he'd done on, on 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 other occasions but he gave them the opportunity to contribute to the breakfast And Jesus doesn't need our service. We know that, don't we? I'm not telling anyone anything we didn't know. Jesus doesn't need us. He doesn't need what we do. Without us, he would soon find another way, or at least another church, to do the things that he he wants done. But he gives us the opportunity to serve. And he enables our service. And he values our service. And therefore... At the judgment seat of christ the scriptures tell us that he will reward our service according to how many fish we put on the barbecue that's not the exact wording of course let's go back to the first passage for my final point you don't need to turn to it um, but just remembering what we were thinking about in that first encounter We read that Jesus said that from then on they were going to fish for people. Or in some versions it says they were going to catch men, women included. It was gender inclusive. They were going to to fish um, for people. The original Greek um, words which are translated there, catch men or fish for people, actually mean take a life. It's... um, It's the kind of phrase that they would have used, or someone might use, if they wanted a fugitive or an enemy um, caught but not killed, you know, take them alive. So that's what the actual words, the words actually mean. The disciples and us are to fish for people and take them alive. Now there are many differences between preaching the gospel and, and fishing of course. Um, One of them is that fishing normally involves catching live fish and killing them. But for us, it's the other way around, isn't it? We catch dead fish, and they're made alive. As it says in Colossians 2 and 13, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. The process of catching people with the gospel makes them alive spiritually which is amazing, isn't it? And not just in the moment that they get saved, when they have a spiritual transformation and become new creations that will live forever, but there's also the expectation of an experiential transformation, a liveliness in their living that wasn't there before, a joy which is, which is evident. Or as Jesus put it in John chapter 10, an abundance of life. You can't have an abundance of life if it's not evident. And it's not just true for new converts, is it? It should be true of us, more so throughout our Christian experience as we get to know the Lord more and more. Sometimes it seems that the hard work of being a Christian seems to (laughs) erode that liveliness and joy and abundance of life that we had when we were first saved. Each of us is a walking advertisement for the new life. And that's important because, um, like I said, catching fish is different um, Different to catching people. The fish might not believe in the fishermen. The fish might not be attracted to life outside the water. But they still end up in, caught in the net regardless, don't they? It's different with people. Our fishing normally involves having to attract people first. Now it's true that hellfire preaching also works sometimes. Some people can be scared into accepting Jesus Christ saviour so that they don't perish but I think that most people are not very motivated by warnings of danger that's why um, health warnings are not very good at persuading people to change their diet and adopt a healthy lifestyle people aren't motivated very well by negative things they are motivated more the vast majority of people towards positive things Promises of good experiences, safety and security, benefits and reward. And of course the gospel promises all of that, doesn't it? And more. But if our lives and church services are lacking in liveliness, and perhaps we would acknowledge that at least some of the time that might be true, then we shouldn't be surprised if the fish don't come close enough or stay long enough to get caught by the message. And one final point about fishing. And I'm speaking from experience here, so I am something of an expert on this particular point that I'm going to to share with you. When I used to go fishing as a kid in Liverpool, I used to get on the bus, or if I could be bothered, I'd get on my bike and I'd go to a place called Calderstones Park. Why? Because there was a fishing lake there, right? Now, I had at home books about fishing. I used to to get these periodicals that would come out and you'd collect them each week or each month and put them in a special binder that you could buy. The Marshall Cavendish Guide to Fishing, I had it and I studied every single one of the 50 odd things Cost a fortune when it, all come, when, you, when, it, when it all comes in. I studied them all. And I had other books on fishing. And through birthday and Christmas presents and some of my own pocket money spent, I had a vast array of fishing equipment and floats. And, and when the time came to go fishing, I had the tub of the best maggots. Fishing and get used to the idea of handling maggots. And you know what? With all of that, I wouldn't have caught a single fish Not one, if I didn't get on my bike or on the bus and go to Calderstone's park. We've got to go where the fish are. I'm not going to labour that point. You know the point that I'm making. Mm. So, in conclusion, the disciples had two fishing trips which changed their lives. The first led to their initial recruitment as trainees into the Lord's service. And the second was part of their commissioning into a much fuller um, service for the rest of their lives. First, we get saved. We're caught alive. And then, as we get to know Jesus more, we get to the point where we really do want to follow him for the rest of our lives. And that's the point where we get out of the boat, isn't it? And we swim towards the Lord Jesus um so the question i'm i'm going to leave us all with and i think for this audience i kind of know where you are i think but the question for you and for anyone who's listening to this recording at some point on soundcloud is is where are you now are you still in the boat are you in the boat have you accepted jesus christ as your savior i think that's a bit where we get into the boat but there's a sense where we we need to get out of the boat so have you got out of the boats And if you have gone out of the boat, are you in the water, but you've not really made much progress towards the shore? You're still treading water in your Christian experience. Or are you swimming with all of your enthusiasm and energy towards the Lord Jesus, ready to do whatever he asks? Let's pray that God will help us to do the latter every day.